Welcome to Ear Crush, the Friday podcast for people who love listening to great stories. My co-host this week is Troy Odie, the owner of Featured Audio, the company that does the vast majority of the post-production work for LMBPN Audio. Troy, welcome to Ear Crush. Hey, thanks for having me. What does post-production mean what is, for, for people who love listening to audiobooks and, and only think about writing the books and someone sitting in front of a microphone talking into the microphone? What's your part in the equation? Okay. Uh, well, yeah. Um, I mean, post-production, as the name would um, lead you to believe, is after production. Uh, so after the book is been recorded by the narrator, uh, the files uh, make their way to me via the internet or uh, Dropbox or one of the or an FTP, um, or if I'm recording in house, I already have it. But uh, yeah, I basically, just get the the raw audio from the narrator, and then I start doing what we do. I uh, add processing uh, to kind of boost the levels, um, and you know make tame the S's gate out the unwanted noises and stuff like that. So what, is, what does all that mean? Because I'm, I know what you're talking about, and I'm, I'm kind of confused. So you're adding processing. Sure. What, what does that mean? Yeah. So like when the narrator records their book, uh, they're usually just using a very basic uh, microphone and preamp setup. And so usually their recordings come at a lower level. Uh, they're not as loud as they are when when you're listening to them on audible or whatever. Okay. Uh, so we take that, we take those files and then basically make them louder. So processing is like just a fancy word for, uh, make it louder. Okay. So we add just, uh, you know, EQ to kind of make sure it's not super, have like a ton of low end and super bassy, uh, add compression and limiting just to get it as loud as it can be, uh, without sounding bad. Uh, and then we use, things like gates and DSing uh, to help tame the sibilance and the gate to keep the noise floor at a reasonable level. All right, you, you said something there that I didn't understand at all. Tame the sibilance? Sibilance, yes. So like hard S sounds. Okay, all right. Um, and hard, you know, like uh, T's are harder to do with a DSer, but mostly the really harsh S sounds, uh, we use a DSer to kind of bring those to a back to a listenable level so it's what does ear, ds stand for uh i don't like d it's just taking the s sound out okay all right i don't really know all I, right. I think it's just supposed to be kind of like a a play on words dsing oh got it yeah. got it <laughs> yeah yeah so it's uh pretty common i mean it's basically um a, for audio people it's basically like a compressor that you can set to a frequency, and it will only take that frequency out. Now, one of the things that I know I do when I'm recording podcasts is I start talking with my hands, and I, I, I start backing away from the microphone. And then when I'm listening to it, I can hear big shifts in volume depending on how close I am to the microphone. Do you, do you find that narrators do that, or are they just like well-trained in, in staying close? Um, yeah, the, the ones who are good, it's, they're, it's amazing how little they seem to move. Um, you can, there's a certain amount of movement you can get away with when you're actually speaking, but when you're not in between the silence, it's kind of 
a lot more obvious. Um, but yeah, it's, I think you just have to train yourself to be still when you're in the booth, uh, you know, wear clothing that doesn't make a ton of noise. Don't wear jewelry, uh, stuff like that. Oh, never um, would have thought of that. You, yeah. That I think you kind of learn as, as you go, like what, you know, can't like wear, you know, like uh, a windbreaker jacket or something like that. It's going to make a lot of swooshing noises. So I think it's common. It's common for, I think, narrators to want to use their hands and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, when they're acting. But I think they just like have learned to, to tame it down as much as they can. Do you find a difference in working with people that have been doing this for years versus people who are fairly new to the trade? Because audiobooks are booming over the course of the last few years, and there are a lot of people that are just getting into it. Um. Yeah, I mean the, the the seasoned pros are always amazing to work with because they don't make as many mistakes. They usually have the production side down, like as far as getting a good, clean uh, recording to you. Um, and, and they're just generally they, they can narrate their books quicker, and they're just easier to work with. Uh, the newer talent that we work with, I would say, uh, the biggest thing is just the some of it's just the quality of their booth and their setup um and just the time restrictions they have to work with you know full-time narrators can Mm -hmm. get stuff turned around a lot quicker than uh you know people usually starting out they're working a full-time job while while pursuing uh audiobook narration on the side uh as far as the talent if you're good if you have if you have good acting chops and and you have a good good voice and you and you can uh you know, narrate without making too many mistakes or stumbling when you're trying to switch between character voices. Like there's, there's not a ton of, you know, the, the, this, the seasoned veterans are, aren't that much better, but they're just, they've got their workflow and all the other aspects of it down so well that they're very, very efficient. I want to get into the mistakes because I know that that's something that, that, that I see, as a part of your process, and we'll do that next week for next week's show because you're going to be the co-host again next week. Um, but but first, today's story is is from Craig Martell, and it's narrated by Kate Rudd. The story is Timmons and Sue in Toronto, and we actually met you through Kate. Uh, Kate had when we hired Kate originally to narrate books for us, she brought her own post production person, uh, who was you. And so we yes. had some dealings with you prior to realizing that we needed someone like you. Uh, how did you? How did you and Kate initially connect? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, so me and Kate both uh, live in West Michigan. For those of you who don't know, there's a, a rather large audiobook publisher in Grand Haven, Michigan, uh, called Brilliance Publishing. Um, and Many, you know, a few years ago, I used to work for them. Uh-huh. Uh, I was a studio engineer. Um, and that's where I met Kate. It's kind of where I was introduced to audiobooks. Um, and me and Kate met there because at the time she was doing uh, a significant amount of recording uh, in their studios. So uh, we, we worked together on a bunch of books. And then when I decided to leave the company and go out on my own, um, she was... She was happy to bring post production work to me and full production work. So, cool. we've, uh, yeah, we've been we've been friends for a number of years, and she's she's great to work with. I'm always happy to work with her. 
She's great to listen to as well. And let's listen to her now. This is Timmons and Sue in Toronto, written by Craig Martell, narrated by Kate Rudd. Timmons and Sue in Toronto. I thought about how I'd feel if something happened to you. If someone took you and no one saw anything. I'd want to kill someone, but the enemy wouldn't be there. I see the frustration on Char's face. I'd lose my mind, Timmons whispered. We went through that years ago, and you moved mountains for me, Soup heard. It wasn't quite all that. He let the words drift away as his mind took him back ten years. WWDE plus 35 years. The pods had landed inside Toronto and the pack separated. They were on a search and destroy mission. Sue had been paired with Adams for the operation, and Timmins had been put with Jean. The wear teams ran into the night, following the roads that Terry had pointed out on the approach. Strongholds dotted the city. The mission was to break down the barriers between the warring factions, bring them together, and get them working toward being civilized. You'd think Canadians would be nicer to each other, Terry joked. Maybe these are refugees from south of the border, Timmins replied. Touché, Terry conceded. Cut the head off the snake if they make you. But it would be best not to kill anyone if we don't have to. There aren't that many. The teams had nodded and gone their separate ways, figuring they would bring bound captives to a central area to turn loose and whip into shape. People who were happy to be alive were easier to deal with. They hadn't seen any firearms during the reconnaissance. Timmins expected things to go easily. Only one platoon from the FDG had accompanied them. The force's mission was to secure and hold the ground once the elite wear teams handled the leadership from each stronghold. Timmins knew something was wrong when a machine gun barked an angry staccato. He raised his head and listened. It had come from the direction Sue and Adams had gone. We do our part, then go help, Jean said matter-of-factly in his heavy Russian accent. They continued to move quickly toward their objective. Timmins remained in the shadows, while Jean lumbered straight down the center of the street. As they got close, he removed his clothes, leaving them where he dropped them. He changed into werebear form and resisted the urge to roar. They started to run. The target building was unpresuming, but that was where the humans were. Both Timmins and Jean could see them. No firearms. They ran straight toward the front door. The werebear broke through it without slowing down. He went left into the main sitting room, and Timmins went right, found the stairs, and headed up. Timmins could hear Jean slapping the shit out of the people he'd cornered. It took 15 years. But finally, he didn't just kill everyone he ran across. He limited himself to hurting them badly. He knew his own strength, but let fly with his massive, flesh-rending claws anyway. Timmins raced up the stairs, vaulting the last bunch to the top landing. He turned left, then decided to go right. There was the same number of people in each direction, but Timmins was playing a hunch. He reached for the knob, but someone inside opened it, pulling it away from the werewolf. Timmins' reactions were quicker. 
and he jammed his shoulder against the door, slamming it against the sole on the other side. Timmins jumped over the man as he fell. Two other people in the room smoothly pulled their pistols, but Timmins accelerated to werewolf speed. He hit the closer of the two with a gut-wrenching punch to the head, then ducked under the second's hastily fired shot. Timmins caught the man's wrist, broke it, and took the pistol away. He whipped it across the man's face, knocking him down and out. The man they came for sat at a big desk. There was a woman who had been sitting on it when Timmins entered. She was cowering behind the man and screaming. Shut up, Timmins said, pointing the pistol in the woman's direction. She continued to scream until the seated man backhanded her in the chest. You need to come with me because we've had enough of your petty squabbles. We're going to help you idiots to resolve your differences, Timmins told him using the wording that Shar had given him. I don't think so. You haven't met all my boys yet, the man said in an accent that Timmins couldn't place. They heard a commotion in the hallway, followed by the thunder of a pistol firing, and then a wild animal's roar that shook the walls. More commotion and then silence. Timmins realized that he didn't like having his back to the door, so he moved to the side where he could keep an eye on both. The woman watched him intently, keeping the seated man between her and Timmins. A heavy tread suggested only one being was coming down the hall. They weren't human footsteps. A confused look crossed the man's face. His eyes shot wide as the werebear appeared in the doorway. The woman started screaming again. Damn it, Jean. We just got her calmed down, Timmins complained. The werebear sniffed at the men on the floor. Both were unconscious. Jean raised a leg like a dog and peed on them. Even Timmins was disgusted. At least the woman stopped her infernal screaming, and the man decided that being somewhere else sounded like a good idea. He stood and looked for an escape. Jean strolled from the room, growled at something in the hallway, and continued down the steps. The man resumed his tough guy pose once the werebear had gone. What the hell do you think you are? A New York City mobster? Timmins scowled at the pair. Get your asses in gear and get the fuck out of here. Timmins was in no mood to watch the man drag his feet in an attempt to establish his dominance. Drop it, Timmins yelled when the man reached for something. A pistol will only give you a false sense of hope. Do you know how the talks will go without you? Try not in your favor, dickweed. And you, shut your fucking pie hole before I throw your dumb ass out that window. Timmins' patience was gone. He forced his way behind the desk, body slammed the woman into the intransigent mobster, and then kicked the man in the ass to get him to move toward the door. Timmins took the magazine from the pistol and fired the last round into the ceiling. The woman jumped. Shut it, Timmins yelled preemptively. He threw the pistol on the unconscious body, then remembered there were two, so he took the magazine from the second pistol. The two captives were standing in the hallway where blood splattered the walls and pooled on the floor. Timmins could tell that two of the men were still alive. Maybe one would survive. Probably none if no one came to their rescue. Let's go, you asswipes. You had to make this hard. Not on us, but it's on you. So get going. 
The only way to not end up like them is to come with us. And you, you fucking screamer, you're not coming with us. I'm not going to put up with any of your shit, so you stay here. Timmins punctuated his command by throwing her against the wall. She bounced off and tumbled to the floor, barely missing a pool of blood. The man tried to grab Timmins, but the werewolf was ready. He blocked the grab and punched the man in the mouth just hard enough to stagger him. Timmins grabbed a handful of the back of his shirt and propelled him toward the steps. The man missed the top step and fell, grabbing the railing and twisting as he landed heavily. Get up, you piece of shit, Timmins growled. The man finally gave in with a visible hunch of his shoulders. He got up, brushed himself off, and descended the staircase with his head down. Timmins pushed him out the door, and they headed up the street toward the central area where the Enclave leaders were being staged. Timmins pushed the man hard, but he wasn't used to a workout. He was soon panting and gasping for air. Timmins had to slow down. Jean grew bored and explored homes and buildings along the way. He changed back into human form when they came across his clothes. Timmins kept the man moving forward so he wouldn't see the transformation. He didn't rate to learn about the wares and the unknown world. One squad from the force had set up a small containment area. Two others were already detained. They didn't look anything like the mobster wannabe that Timmins herded into it. He clearly knew the others because he spat in their direction once he was shoved inside. The other two didn't like him either, since their response was to attack him. Timmins walked away. Sue and Adams had not returned. He hadn't heard the machine gun in quite some time, but that didn't mean anything. Timmins needed to get out there and find her, make sure she was safe. Come on, Jean, we did what we had to do, Timmins told the werebear with a nod. Let's go find the others. No problem, Jean agreed, watching the scrum within the containment area while he walked away. The warriors sent two men in to break up the fight, while three others kept their weapons raised, ready to end lives if it was a scam. The eerie silence weighed on Timmins's soul. He started to run, then broke into a sprint. Jean hustled to keep pace, but gave up quickly and opted for his werebear form, which was much faster than his human version. The werebear passed Timmins even though he was running at wear speed. Timmins was amazed as he struggled to keep up. They could sense Sue and Adams ahead, but they were separate, in two far different places. Jean broke right to run after Adams. Timmins went left. Sue was underground, and Adams was on the fourth floor of a taller building. Timmins didn't feel that Sue was in distress, but his anxiety rose like bile into his throat. She was surrounded by humans and small animals. Dogs, maybe rats. He didn't like it one bit. He ran past a house, then a store, and couldn't find where she was. The basements didn't lead to her. He looked around in panic. A manhole cover. The sewers. He plunged a finger into the space, and with his enhanced strength, he ripped the manhole cover off and threw it aside. He looked into the darkness and decided not to bother with the ladder. He jumped to the center of the hole with his hands over his head and dropped through, landing lightly less than 15 feet down. He heard them down one of the tunnels. He ran, 
splashing through the water, making noise to let them know he was coming. Sue already knew. She could feel his presence. Timmins slowed as he approached a corner around which light shone. He could hear rough voices up ahead, young men sounding confident. Show us your tits, Blondie. I thought Canadians were supposed to have more manners, Sue replied smoothly, not intimidated by the group. Timmins stopped, leaned around the corner, and saw six men of various ages and rats. Rats were everywhere within the tunnel. It struck the werewolf as odd how the rats were acting like a trained pack. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? A younger man snarled. It was rare that people called their country by its name. Nothing like that mattered. Timmins strolled in. You brought backup, good for you, another said flatly. He signaled with his arms and three of the group separated and rushed toward Timmins. Half the rats came with them. Timmins hated playing defense. He attacked with reckless abandon, killing the three men in the span of two heartbeats. He grabbed the legs of one of the dead and started swinging the man around, sweeping the rats before him. Sue was taking care of business. When Timmins risked a look, two of the men were down and she had the third by the throat. He had stopped the rats and was holding them in place. Timmins wished he'd thought of that. He threw the body from him and high-stepped to get behind Sue. The man continued to hold the rats back. She laughed, and it was music to his ears. He leaned in to nibble on her neck. She tilted her head to let him. The man in her grasp looked shocked. Take your vermin and leave. Thank your God that we let you live, Sue ordered. The man nodded. She let go and he ran down the tunnel with a small army of rats running after him. That was magnificent, my love, Timmins whispered. I was so worried when you weren't back with the others. He didn't know what else to say. He wasn't the touchy-feely sort, but he'd grown soft in his old age. Or maybe he'd just gotten smarter. I'm happy you're okay, because I don't know what I'd do without you he muttered. Sue had hugged him fiercely. Just like he was doing to her now. Timmins came back to himself, back to the present. She looked at him as his eyes glistened. This has been the best 25 years of my life, he whispered. Thank you, Kate Rudd. Hey, if you want more of Kate and the Terry Henry Walton Chronicles, shoot me an email at steve at lmbpn.com. That's lmbpn.com. I'll send the first five people to send me an email a free copy of book one of the Terry Henry Walton Chronicles, the story that has launched about 14 or 15 of our audiobooks so far. Speaking of audiobooks, we had two new releases this week. The first was Recollection, book six in the Ghost Squadron series from Saranofsky and Michael Anderley. This series is classic space opera that's drawn rave reviews from fans. Our second audio release this week is A Head Full, book 19 in the Cartharian Gambit series from Michael Anderley. 
And it, it was, of course, narrated by Emily Beresford. You can find both of these titles and all of our other audiobooks at both Audible and Amazon.com. If you'd like to see a complete list of our more than 100 audiobooks, just head to the LMBPN website. Go to lmbpn.com audible. So that's it for this week's edition of Ear Crush. We'll be back again next Friday with two stories from the journals of Terry Henry Walton.